I gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. that. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about the serialized content framework written by me and created by Caspian Studios. So basically, I wrote a book. And instead of you going and reading it, although you should totally do that because there's lots of fun pictures and it's free, I figured I'd just give you about an hour's worth of the entire book narrated with all the chapters and all the fun things and little anecdotes in there. So that's what you're going to get today here on this episode of Remarkable. Hope you enjoy it. Let me know your feedback and take care. Today, we are talking about the serialized content framework created by Caspian Studios. So we're going to dive into how the best B2B companies drive pipeline with a portfolio of serialized content. In part one, we're going to be talking about how serialized content is eating the world. The first thing that we want to understand is that consumer behavior has changed. So people watch shows, they watch movies, they watch podcasts, they listen to podcasts, all on apps. So they're using their phone, their mobile device, their TV, all of those things. They're using those to watch and listen. Now, this is really important for content creators because we need to create content in the formats that people want to consume it in and audiences have zero tolerance for bad stuff. So if they don't like it, they're just going to keep scrolling, or they're going to switch, or they're going to turn it off, and they're going to go on to something else. So in the world of content, it is very, very competitive. And if you're creating something as a B2B company, then you have tons more competition because you're competing against all the other stuff, like just regular TVs, movies, and podcasts. Now, with this sort of content arms race, everyone from Disney to Netflix to Mattel, they're racing to keep up with the new normal. And what that means is that they are investing in serialized content. They're investing in creating series to create franchises, to shift billions of dollars into creating these series and franchises so that they can market much easier. Now, each of these franchises is multiple seasons. It's multiple episodes within a season. And a lot of times they have other types of shows that are similar either format or similar characters or a similar like cinematic universe, right? Like the Marvel cin cinematic universe. And so when you have those types of things, you get to market the entire franchise and your marketing is more productive over time. B2B companies haven't really got the memo. So the way that we do things mostly is in one-offs. It's not in creating series. It's not in creating franchises or media brands. It's not doing any of that stuff. We're mostly creating single one-off things and trying to market those over and over and over again. And we're going to get into why that's not a great idea here in the next video. In part two of the Serialized Content Framework by Caspian Studios, we're going to be talking about one of the most important questions that you can ask yourself as a marketer. 
how do you engage with prospects that are either high intent or the 95% of people who aren't ready to buy just yet? So the biggest thing that we have noticed over the past few years is that buyer behavior has changed fundamentally. People are really hard to reach now. With the cookie-less future coming, it's going to be even harder to reach. There's longer sales cycles. There's more people in the buying committee. Relationships matter more than ever. And of course, 67% of people are doing all of their research before they even talk to sales. So we know that it's really hard to get in front of this you know, group of people who haven't yet bought. And most of them are only buying with 5% of their time, right? They enter in, into a buying decision and then they say, okay, we're going to evaluate who we want to get. We're going to make some decisions. We're going to bring it up to the entire group. We're going to go for, through the procurement process and then we're going to make a decision. And if you don't get in front of them right in that high intent period, then it's really challenging. However, most people are not targeting them in that 95% of time in an effective way. What we are doing is we're targeting them in the research phase. And so in that research phase, where they're trying to figure out what is the best solution, there's tons and tons and tons of content that we put our effort into for that research phase. So we want to make all sorts of content about making the decision easier to buy. How do you convince your boss? How do you get business results? How do you do all those things? B2B marketers, generally speaking, are really good at creating that type of content. What we're historically really bad at is everything that happens before the research phase. And what people are doing in the sort of pre-research phase, and again, that's 95% of the time that they're not trying to buy, they're just trying to do their normal jobs. They're doing things like scrolling on LinkedIn or you know, hanging out with their friends at an event or they're joining group chats or they're joining private communities or they're listening to podcasts while they're driving to work or walking their dog. They're watching videos at work or watching YouTube. They're going to small batch events that are curated by marketing teams or you know other trade organizations. They're reading analyst reports or they're just kind of Googling stuff. And so that time, the time when they're not actively seeking your product and service, they don't want to be hassled by sales. They don't want to be hit up with a thousand emails. They don't want your 15 email sequence but they do want to learn from their peers and they want to learn from industry experts year round. Like this is something where they constantly want to get better at their job. Most people are not creating content for this type of environment. And we want to create the mental availability so that you are top of mind when they go into that purchasing decision. So you want to create things that are really, really good, really impactful content in that 95% of the time so that when they go into the research phase, they're already thinking of you and you're already top of mind. And that we'll get into in our next video. In part three of the serialized content framework, we are talking about riches in niches. So these are the five critical components of a modern B2B marketing content strategy. So why do we say riches and niches? Well, we have seen over time that historically companies try to create a big umbrella brand and a big umbrella community and big umbrella content for everyone in their buying sort of ecosystem. And that's really, really hard to do. And the reason why is because if you're selling to, let's just say the CIO and the VP of engineering and the CFO, those three people probably consume really different stuff. They don't 
sit around and talk about the same things. They sit around and talk with their peers about the same things, but they don't really hang out together and they don't hang out digitally together. They're not in the same type of communities. And so if you're trying to make umbrella content or like sort of large scale brand content for those three people, you're just not going to be as successful. But if you niche down into those personas really, really far and create something extremely special for them, we've seen lots and lots of riches be created in those niches. So we have figured out that there's five things that make content stand out, that make it really good, really engaging, and drive business value. So the first is that it's peer-led. So you want to create authentic stories from people. And these are your customers, these are your prospects. You want to answer the question, tell me how you do it at your company. Like that is, in an essence, what peer-led is. You want to help people pattern match what they're doing at their company with what other people are doing at their companies. This is a really important strategy to have content that is peer-led. And it's something that a lot of people don't do a lot. The second one is you want to create persona-driven content. So what that means is that it's the more segmented and targeted on a specific persona, the better off it'll be. So let's say in what I was talking about earlier, if you're selling to the CIO, to a VP of engineering, and to a CFO, you should be creating content for CIOs, for CFOs, and for VPs of engineering. But don't stop there. Keep going down further and further until you get to a small enough community that you can have a really big impact. So for example, if you're selling to that VP of engineering, you could potentially niche down into VPs of engineering in a fintech company. And then there's a smaller subset that you could create really personalized, specific content for just that persona. So you could look at industry, you could look at role, you could look at like geographic differences. What about VPs of engineering that are in Brazil, for example, and they have a, a different way that they're doing things. So you really want to be persona driven with your content. The third thing that you want to do is you want it to be edutainment. So better content gets better engagement, but it doesn't just get better engagement. It gets way, way better engagement. So if you look at the things that go viral or the things that get shared a bunch, those things are much higher quality. They're much better researched. They're much more interesting. They're much more funny. They're much more tailored. And those things stand out. Now, you don't need to go viral in terms of getting millions and millions of downloads. What viral means is, is according to your niche. So if you have a very small niche that you're trying to target and you can get, let's just say, 50% of the people in that niche to engage with it, then that is really, really good. And edutainment boils down to two things. So if you look at an X and a Y axis where you have entertainment on one side and educational on the, on the other, you want to create things that are in the top right quadrant. Most of the time, what we're doing is we're creating things that are like features and benefits driven that is sort of that low left quadrant. It's not really that helpful. It's not very well researched. It's not very educational. It's not super tailored to the person who's consuming it. It's just not that good in terms of its educational quality. And then it's not entertaining at all. It's not told like a story. It's not told in an interesting way. It's not created in some way that's memorable. Whereas if you are telling things in the top white right quadrant, this is what Pixar is doing. This is what Marvel is doing. They are telling stories that are extremely entertaining, that have very compelling narratives, that have compelling characters, that are very realistic. So it's obviously very hard to do that, but there's things that you can do to stand out in this way. You can do things like laugh and learns, where <laughs> I love that phrase, laugh and learns, where you're teaching people things, but also there's some element to humor 
or levity in the types of conversations that you're telling. You can use talent who are either funny or brilliant, hopefully both, that can help you stand out in these ways. Like there's tons and tons of very talented, funny people that generally speaking, we're not using in our B2B content because we're just kind of writing boring stuff because we think that, you know, oh, well, this topic is boring. It's not boring to the person who spends their life dedicating themselves to the craft. So you really don't want to be boring ever. And there are ways to stand out there. Even for folks that are like, well, finance is boring or engineering is boring or marketing is boring. Whatever thing that you think is boring, I promise you the people who are consuming it are not going to think it's that boring. And they would love to laugh along with some inside jokes that have to do with you know their profession. The fourth thing is that content has to be multi-channel, multi-format. So you need to meet the audience where you are. And we talked earlier about how consumer behavior is shifting. It is shifting into apps. It is shifting into consuming things on your phone, whether it's scrolling on LinkedIn, whether it's listening to a podcast on your way to work, whether it's you know watching something on YouTube or on your TV. You want to have short-form content. You want to have long-form content. You want to have short-form video, long-form audio, long-form video. You want to have written content, things for social, multi-channel, multi-format is super important. The multi-channel part of this is you want to push it on the apps where they're consuming these things. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, these are the places that people are using these every single day. Obviously, social channels like LinkedIn or TikTok or wherever your audience is. So you want to have this multi-format content and it needs to be pushed into multiple channels. And of course, including your website and all of your own properties. The final one here is that it needs to be serialized. Obviously, this whole series is about creating serialized content. And the reason why serialized is so important is because we are so familiar with consuming serialized content right now with how we consume Netflix, 10 episode seasons, things like that. We're very used to that format and serialized content compounds. So by the time you get to episode 40, to episode 50, to episode 60, all of that, you have this back catalog of content that has been working for a long time. And that's really valuable to have that back catalog of content. And as you continue to grow and expand more and more episodes, all of that back catalog starts to perform even better over time. Even if you have shows that are very timely in their nature, you're still building an audience where they expect timeliness out of that content. And so serialized is really important to that. And the other reason why it's important is that it's easy to subscribe to. You know that you're getting just that thing. It's very easy to see, easy to understand. Oh, I'm going to subscribe to getting more updates about Stranger Things or whatever. You know, like you click that little plus, add to my list. You click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. We're very familiar with this and you want to create the same type of experience for your audience. This is part four of the serialized content framework from Caspian Studios. In this part, we're going to be talking about where does serialized content fit in your go-to-market. So of course, every single thing that we're trying to do in B2B marketing is to drive pipeline. That is marketing's job. We want to drive pipeline to help close and win deals. And if serialized content is not nested right in your go-to-market, then it's never going to get approved and it's never going to get any results and it's never going to get the support and the effort that it needs. So we need to make sure that this fits right into our go-to-market strategy. So how does it do that? First off, if you're creating serialized content, 
for example, a video podcast. It is something that is an always-on brand-gen strategy. So this is that 24-7, 365 type of content. You keep publishing it. Let's say you have a weekly show. You do 50 episodes over the course of a year. And every single week, a new episode comes out. This is something that is a consistent, repeatable process to drive brand gen. And we'll get into what brand gen is here in a second. But it is something that is constantly coming out. It is constantly fresh, but it also is evergreen. Someone could find those episodes after three months, five months, six months, a year later, and most of the time, they're still good and still fresh unless there's something extremely timely about that piece of content. And it's really important because that backlog of content is very valuable. You can cut it up in multiple ways. You can use derivative content. You can do all sorts of things with that. But the most important thing is that it's always on. And it is a channel that is going to continue to produce over time. And what that means to continue to produce is this brand gen effect. So this impacts various parts of the funnel. So it impacts top of funnel as people you know, see this being posted all over you know, social media or LinkedIn or wherever. They see that this is happening. They see that, oh, my friend is on this podcast. I didn't know that they knew the company. Maybe I'll check that out. And then maybe they go just look at the landing page. They say, okay, that's cool. And then go on with their day. Then maybe a month later, they see, oh, this other friend is now on this podcast. Who makes this thing? And then they go and check it out. Then maybe they say, oh, you know, actually, I haven't caught up with them in a while. I should reach out to them. Hey, how are you doing? Tell me about that podcast that you were on. So there's this top of the funnel motion with that part of the awareness play, that it's very much at the top of the funnel to figure out what is this content? Is it something that I could be interested in? And who is the company making this? Then one level below that you have, once they become an actual listener and they say, hey, I would love to see what what Jane is, is up to. And I didn't know she was going to be sharing her marketing strategy on this podcast. So I'll listen to this episode with Jane. They listen to one of the episodes of the podcast. They learn a bunch of stuff that Jane was saying. They say, hey, you know what? I'm going to subscribe to this. And then every now and then they see an episode that tickles their fancy. And then they go and, and listen to that episode. Do they listen to every single one? Probably not. Most of us don't listen to every single episode of, of our favorite shows. But they check in with it every now and then. Now... At this point, they have, I would say, a middle funnel in terms of understanding of your products and services. They've listened to a handful of your episodes. They spent, let's say, if they listened to five or six episodes, like three to four hours with content that you've been creating. Also, presumably, you're targeting them through other ways as well. So they're maybe being invited to your events or you're following them around the internet with different types of ads because they've clicked on some of the ads for your podcast. And so there's another approach into your go-to-market stack here. The other thing that is really important is that if they've listened to your podcast, you know, let's just say five or six times over the course of the year before they talk to sales, when they are ready to buy, they already know of your company, they already know of your product positioning, they already know because they've been listening to the ads that you have in that show over the course of the year or listening to one of your executives talk about it you know, for four or five hours, they already know all of that stuff. And so it accelerates that awareness piece there. So that's all top of the funnel stuff. Another way this fits into your go-to-market is that you're creating multi-channel, multi-format content for places like social. And LinkedIn, as we know, is an incredible tool, but it's also incredibly expensive. So 
If you're doing organic impressions on social video, for example, over and over and over again on LinkedIn, that those impressions are extremely expensive if you were to just buy them. And it's something that can uh, accelerate some of the LinkedIn things that you're already doing. Another way that this fits into your marketing strategy is that it is a much more tactical approach to developing relationships with prospects and customers. And when you are co-creating content with your prospects and customers, and they're sharing it with their friends and colleagues and all of that, people are, are seeing that, they're noticing it, and they're also engaging with your brand. So if they have a really positive engagement, they come on your podcast, they have a wonderful time with the host, they're prepped the right way, their PR people are happy, the way that they're presented, the way that the graphics look, the way that they sound. Oh, multiple people have reached out to them on LinkedIn and said, hey, I listened to your episode and they've had a wonderful experience with your brand. That is an extension of your brand, your way that you are marketing, the way that you sell, the way that you know that deal comes about. All of that is part of building a great customer experience and creating content co-creating content with them is part of that brand experience. And it's really important to get this stuff right. Because the last thing you want to do is have the opposite thing happen, which is have a terrible experience when they are co-creating with you. And it fits really nicely into your go-to-market because they're much more receptive to having a conversation with sales when they've already had a really good experience with your marketing team. This is part five of the serialized content framework created by Caspian Studios. In this part, we're going to be talking about how to create serialized content and how you can use a B2B video podcast series to drive pipeline. So the first thing that you want to do when you're creating a B2B video podcast series is look at aligned incentives. So there's three groups that are really important here. There's you as the customer, your guests that are coming on the show, and your audience that is going to be consuming it. Your job is to provide valuable insights, knowledge, or entertainment to your audience while establishing your brand as an industry authority. Your guests should be motivated to share their expertise, promote their businesses, and reach a wider audience. This is pretty core to a thought leadership playbook. And your audience wants to benefit from the information and engaging content that you're providing. They want to pattern match what they're doing at their companies with what your guests are doing and the information that you're going to be sharing. Next, you want to look at format and structure for the show. First off, every B2B series should be created what I call multi-channel, multi-format. Now, multi-format means that you want it to be audio, video, and blog content that those three mediums are the prevailing mediums that you need to be creating in. And if you're creating a B2B video podcast, then you're automatically going to be doing that. Next, you want to figure out, is this a series? Is it episodic? Does it build upon itself or do these episodes stand alone? Now, in almost all cases, you're going to want certain through lines or topics to go throughout the entire series. But you also want people to be able to come in and engage with a single episode and get the vast majority of the information right then and there. And you want this to focus on either specific topics, industry trends, or you know, guest best practices or things like that. You can also create a series that is more entertainment or a fiction series that gets at certain thematic elements as well. Next, you want to look at the length of the show. Each episode is probably going to be a little bit different in length, but should be roughly around the same amount of time. And you want to really think about the length based off of what you want to give to the audience. 
If you want a show that is much more easy listening, quick hitting type content, maybe that's a 10 to 20 minute show. If you want something that is going extremely in depth with a lot of detail with a very senior leader about certain things, maybe it can be the more 55 minute range. If you want something that's super fast, quick hitting, that just gets a little bit of information out there, you could look at maybe five minute episodes or much shorter if you wanna go for a TikTok style video. The length is really important to the utility of what you want this thing to be. And I highly encourage you to look at length and play with a bunch of different ways there. The final piece of format and structure that is really important is segments. Most podcasts or video series that are not performing well are things that have very few segments that is just a meandering, wandering conversation. And I know what everyone is thinking is like, well, Joe Rogan is very popular and things like that. But Joe Rogan has built an audience of millions of people over a long time. And that is what they come to expect from that type of show. You absolutely can t- can create that show. But for most B2B organizations, you want to have segments that signpost the listener for what they're going to get and expect each and every episode. Otherwise, it just feels like you're listening to two people talk, go on a a random road, and you don't know what to expect. So if you're to go tell a friend of like, hey, I just listened to this podcast, and what did they talk about? You're like, I don't know, it's a bunch of interesting stuff. So you really want to be specific with your segments so that you can really signpost the listener so that they can know exactly what they're going to get every single episode. And those are the things that are memorable, and those are the things that are remarkable, and people actually tell their friends about. The next part that you want to look at for creating a B2B video podcast series is focusing on experience. You want to focus on the production quality and creating a very high quality product that when someone listens to that, they feel like they are going to be taken care of and transported into a really interesting, innovative, experiential type viewing and listening experience. And that may sound a little crazy, but it is true that we have seen the data shows that the better the production quality, the better chance you have to stand out. There is no traffic on the extra mile. And if you put the extra effort into the audio and video production, those shows stand out. And if you look at the shows that are at the top of the charts, a lot of those shows have very in-depth production. You might not see it behind the scenes, but it is happening. Part of the experience that is really important is your website experience because you're going to have the show on Apple, you're going to have it on Spotify, you're going to have it on YouTube, in the places and the apps where people consume this type of content. But you also want people to be able to come to the site and get something out of that as well. And usually what this means is that they're going to have a list of episodes on the website that people can click into and maybe subscribe to a newsletter and get episodes directly to their inbox. Now, the vast majority of people are going to engage with content that is in the app. They're not going to go to your website, but you want this to live on your website and make it really easy for people to find and understand what this show is, why it's for them, and, and where they can find it. The final piece on experience that you need to think about is the guest interaction. So this person is trusting you with their story. They are trying to share, you know, lessons and information that they have garnered over potentially a lifetime of working in their job. And you need to take that very seriously. You need to make sure that the way they are prepped, the way that their PR team is prepped, the way that their executive team is prepped, that everyone has a really good feeling about the show and the types of things that they're going to say on there. You also need to make sure that the host is well prepped 
so that they can answer the questions the right way and get the most information out of them in a way that feels really natural. And a lot of guests have amazing stories that are one or two levels below the surface that you kind of have to dig in and get. And they want to share those, but they don't necessarily know how to get them out in a lot of times. And if you do that really well, and then if you promote that episode, share with them, get their approval, and you know, put that far and wide, you're going to have a really positive guest experience. And I highly encourage everyone to spend more time thinking about the guest experience and how they're going to come on and promote and share your show in a way that feels really good and organic to them without being burdensome. The next piece of creating a B2B podcast that drives pipeline is that you need to have distribution. You need to host your podcast on platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, all the places where people listen to podcasts, all those apps. You also want to publish this on YouTube and other places where they can watch video and of course your website. But that is just where people are able to get it. The next piece of this is how you're sharing it. You obviously want to share this on social media. You want to share clips from the actual episode. You want to share behind the scenes content if you have it, or maybe any type of funny things that happen in the episode. And of course, like promote this on your channels, in your newsletter, and all of that. But usually, that type of organic growth is still going to be a fraction of what you can do with paid. Paid is a key part of this, and we'll get into that here in, in, in our next segment. Marketing your show is the most important thing that you can do. You need to rely on multiple different channels, including paid, so that you're promoting this to as many places as possible. At the end of the day, you have so many competing priorities on your marketing team. You have tons of customer videos, you have industry reports, you have other things you're coming out with, you have your event series, you have all of these things that you're working on. And at the end of the day, those all have competing priorities to fit into that company newsletter or to send out to your audience or to put into your email signature blocks. So you need to focus on building serialized content outside of your core brand, outside of organic. You need to use paid. And what we have seen is that paid is much cheaper when you're promoting to really good content rather than just trying to push your own product and services just on paid. A great way to do this is that you can promote your series based off of the persona that you're going after and then follow up with remarketing based off of your product and services. It's a much cheaper way in to promote the content and then the remarketing uh, layer you can do you know, after that. You also want to leverage your guest network by encouraging them to share episodes and to give them those assets. Now, every single guest wants to share in a totally different way. And sometimes they feel more comfortable sharing the video. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they want to share it with, you know, just private Slack messages or people like that. However they feel comfortable is totally fine. And you can share those videos and those clips on your social channels as a company. And then you can invite other people in your company to like, comment, and share. The final piece of building a B2B podcast and using it to drive pipeline is that you need attribution. You need to look at how are you building this audience? How does it impact pipeline? How does it impact those brand KPIs that you're looking at? We'll dig more into KPIs later on, but it's a key part to understanding how this is going to drive business results. You can use from an analytics perspective, the podcast analytics to look and track the listener and viewer demo, to look at engagement, to look at episode performance, and to most of all, look at what are the accounts listening and using tools that allow you to see what accounts 
meaning your customer and prospect accounts are actually listening to the show. That is critical. And if you can do that, you can show things like pipeline acceleration, all of that. The other thing that you can do is to use the actual guests that are coming on your show to properly see where they are as prospects or customers in pipeline to see the total quote unquote pipe in the room. You want to look at those pipe in the room metrics to say, how many people are we putting on the show? What would the pipe in the room be? Are we accelerating that? Are we moving people through the funnel and, and making meaningful engagements in that way? The final thing that you can do with attribution is simply just ask your audience, ask your guests for feedback. It's a great way if you can ask them what they think of the show, what they would work on, or what you could work on, what you could put in the show. It can really drive a lot of interesting comments and engagement that way, especially if you have a user community or a customer advisory board or things that you could, you could put the show to those people and ask for feedback. This is part six of the Serialized Content Framework by Caspian Studios. And we're talking about the actual plays that you can run to drive pipeline with a B2B video podcast and serialized content. So I'm going to go through the plays that we run here at Caspian that our customers also run. The first one is a cold outreach play. So step one is you create a list of target accounts. Step two, you narrow down that list to a specific person at each account who you want to invite on the podcast. Step three, run an outbound sequence, inviting that person to be a guest on the podcast. This is a really good way for cold, for people that you have no relationship with to say, hey, these are 20 people for our target accounts that if we could get any of these 20 people on our podcast and develop a relationship with them in any way, that would be very valuable. And we have seen customers use this to create and source pipeline at a very high rate. Roughly, we've seen people be able to close one in 10 cold accounts by using this type of strategy. The next play is an acceleration play. So the first step is to talk to your chief revenue officer or your sales team, find the accounts that have been engaged by the sales team, but aren't yet ready to buy. So these are folks who said, hey, next quarter, next year, end of fiscal, let's talk. The step two is to work with the associated sales reps to craft those email invitations invite those folks onto the show and say, hey, I know you're not ready to buy in until later on in the year, or you're going to look at things like that. In the meantime, we have this really awesome show, and we think that you would be a great fit on it. Then at that point, they come on the show, have a wonderful time. They talk to your host, who you know is in the same uh, line of work that they are. They share it all over their LinkedIn. People are commenting, and that's where step three comes in. When you publish that episode and they publish the episode, make sure you have your senior leaders and reps share on their LinkedIn's and like and comment. And, and the best practice here is to just take your favorite quote that they said and just post it on your LinkedIn or post it in the comments. And that'll help get more and more people to see their episode. Then after all this, you can look at later on down the line, was this a meaningful way that it helped accelerate pipeline for those accounts? Did those accounts that were cold, did they pick back up? Or warm, did they pick back up? Or did they end up closing you know, later on in the cycle? And you can just track that based off of that outreach. Another podcast pipeline play is a re-engage play. So step one, talk to your CRO, find the list of accounts that have gone stale and need to be re-engaged. And so these are really the stale accounts. These are the ones where five emails, no response, however many it is. These people have just not, not wanted to talk shop when it comes to buying your product. In the same way, step two, you work with the associated sales reps to craft those email invitations. You, you send them to these prospects and invite them to come 
on the podcast. But this time you're doing it directly from the producer. So you're not going to have the sales rep be the one who's reaching out to this person. You're going to have it come from the producer of the show. And this is a really good way to re-engage those prospects. And a lot of times they'll be very honest and upfront with the producer of the show. Say like, hey, listen, we're just in a crazy time. We have all this stuff going on. I just don't even have time to think about that until you know six months from now and I was just sick of the salesperson hounding me. And you can get a really you know honest assessment there. And a lot of times, you know, this will put a meaningful touch in saying, oh, you know, I've been meaning to follow up. I just been traveling, been overseas, and I just totally forgot about it. And I know they've been emailing me, but I figured I'd get to it someday. And, and you can really re-engage accounts that have gone cold. The fourth play that we think works really well as it relates to podcasts, and it's something that we don't see a lot of, but I think we're going to see a lot more going forward, is a partner marketing play. Now, in this way, a lot of times with budgets being tight and people trying to do more with less, if you want a little bit less control of your show and you want to bring in one of your key partners that is selling to the same persona, you can bring a partner in and then co-create a show together. This works really well to take two partners who already are selling to the same persona and have the ability to go to market together. You get twice as much promotion when people share it on their accounts. You get twice as much you know, sales reps going at this and you're able to maximize both audiences of both groups. And it's a really good play to run when it comes from a sales perspective. So step one, you create a list of accounts that are your joint customers, right? Who are those joint customers who you have a really good joint story? Next, you work strategically to invite the people who are on that list who you think would be a really compelling joint story. Now, a lot of times we've done certain types of storytelling you know, with those sort of joint personas, but they've never got a chance to have a really long form conversation. And so you can do it that way. The next step is to look at a number of accounts that maybe partner one has closed, but partner two has not yet. And then partner two has closed and partner one has not yet. And you can say, okay, we're each going to do five episodes where we're targeting the other person's account and say, hey, by the way, go listen to episode one where we had this great better together narrative. You should go check it out. It's like peanut butter and jelly. It's the best thing in the whole world. And if you buy with us, then you should also buy with our partner. And this is something that has worked really well. And those sales reps on both sides can promote that episode, can promote once it's published, and both teams can share, comment, and share their favorite quote of the episode. And this, again, works really well when you have partners that are selling to the same persona and you're trying to figure out which accounts you could both go after together from a cold perspective, from one versus the other, or both sharing customer testimonials. The next play here is how to engage your customers with a customer story when they can't officially be a customer story or don't yet want to be a customer testimonial. And so we have all had this thing happen before where you have this amazing customer, but they can't share it publicly that they are a customer, but they would love to do something with you. So, hey, we've agreed to be speaking at your event later on in the year. Well, it's six months until the event and we'd love to get this person talking about us and being with us and our product and service, even though they can't official officials say that they're a customer or they don't want to give the time to, for a testimonial. Well, step one, talk to your CRO or your customer success team or your customer marketing team to determine an account who is very happy but can't do that testimonial yet. Step two, work with PR to craft questions that won't get anyone in trouble and we'll showcase some of the cool stuff that you're doing, but without sort of leading them too far. And, and step three, 
you really just want to let them share their experiences. And it doesn't have to be with your product and service. It could just be things that they are doing in the normal run of show, things that they would normally talk about on your podcast. You don't have to make it about features and benefits. It doesn't have to be about you. It can just be about them. And the fact that they're talking on your show is a really good first step to get that testimonial or to maybe someday get legal to approve that you can show that they're a customer. And then the final step there is to post these video clips on your social channels and website, not on the customer page, unless you get approval and in your community. And just that association, we have seen this work over and over again, where that association to have that person's face, have that video shared on your company website, opens the conversation to people being like, hey, I saw you were on their that podcast. Do you do business with them? And they say, why, yes, I do. I know that we don't have a testimonial, but maybe I should do one. Or I can't share that publicly, but yes, privately we do. And it's a great play to accelerate those customer stories. The final play here is to leverage other people's shows. Now, of course, we've talked about original content and creating serialized content of your own, but doing the same thing with other shows. Now, there's tons of podcasts out there and you want to have a very strict bar in terms of you want to be on the ones that are really good and you don't want to necessarily go on every single one, but there's even the shows with the very smallest listener base might have one or two listeners that are your absolute ideal customers And it would mean a lot if you are on that show talking about that. So one thing that we recommend doing is to do what's called like a home and home where you invite someone on your show who has a podcast, they invite you on their show who has a podcast, and you just both go on each other's podcasts and talk about you know different sort of things. And you'd be really surprised. The content is, is usually amazingly good. And also each side's benefit from that type of an engagement. The big thing there is that you want to make sure that you create some compelling content and it doesn't just talk about like how we make our podcast and stuff that's not necessarily that interesting. Although you never know, some people find that stuff really interesting. So it's really your judgment call on what you think uh, your audience wants to hear. In all of these scenarios, in all of these plays, if a person agrees to be a guest on your podcast, it is imperative that you give that person a premium experience. You need to have a prep call prior to the episode recording. You need to have a professional producer on all the recordings. You need to send the guest appropriate recording equipment if they don't have it. You need to give the guest final approval before the episode goes live so nobody gets in trouble. You need to create social media graphics and video clips for the episode. And you need to send these to the guests for them to post if they want to do that. You need to work with our PR team to make sure everything looks and sounds good. And your team should be sharing episodes from your personal accounts, not just the brand accounts. It goes a lot further if you share from your personal account than brand accounts. Intentionally stifled by LinkedIn, they want people posting from their personal accounts, not from the brand accounts. So something really important to note is that you want to be posting from those personal accounts. And then finally, you know, part of being a guest is... It's weird, it's kind of wonky, it's awkward for some people, and you just want to make them feel like their information is being put out there in the absolute best light possible. Sometimes people leave jobs, they change roles, something that they said six months ago that they might want to go back. And so you need to make sure that your team is really agile and ready to go back and delete an episode from three months ago, or to change that person's title, or to go delete a section or a paragraph 
or they wake up in the middle of the night six weeks later and say, oh my gosh, I, sh I should have never said that. You really need to make sure that your team is agile enough to respond to those things because they come up. They have come up hundreds and hundreds of times in our work at Caspian Studios or things like that. You need to be able to make a quick change and be agile enough to make the fix. This is part seven of the serialized content framework created by Caspian Studios. And for this one, we are talking about podcasts, video podcasts, and serialized content KPIs. So this is your cheat sheet of what we think is important. Obviously, you have your own KPIs that you think are important as well. So would love to explore that. But we have found that these are the top three things that you can do. And it's pipeline influence, engagement, and experience. And we'll dig into each of these. First off, pipeline influence. Pipeline is the number one thing for every B2B marketer. No matter if you're in content, if you're in brand, if you're in demand, whatever you're in, pipeline is the most important thing. And so we focus on three pieces of this. Pipeline sourced, pipeline accelerated, and pipeline revived. So sourced is to say, what are the brands that have had no connection with our company that are not in an opportunity that we are sourcing 100% from the podcast. And so we have seen video podcasts and serialized content work really well to source cold pipeline, to be very targeted in that way. The second one is pipeline accelerated. So pipeline acceleration is something where it is an account that you are talking to right now, but might need a little bit of help to get it further down the line, to get it faster down the line, or to get a meaningful touch in between now and when the budgeting season is. So if they say they're going to buy in six months from now, and you have six months to wait, and time kills all deals, what you can do is you can get them on your podcast series at let's say month three of that conversation, and then you have some sort of in-between and a meaningful touch with that organization that's not purely a sales touch, and it's not purely a passive touch of sending them information or inviting them to webinars. This is something where you're co-creating it with them, and you're putting a meaningful touch in and having a meaningful experience. The third one is pipeline revived. So this is something where an account goes cold, you've emailed them 10 times, they haven't responded, the salesperson is probably just being annoying at this point, and you want to engage them in a different way. And we have seen this work really well to look at pipeline revivals to say, hey, what accounts did we bring back from the dead by having our producer reach out to those accounts to say, hey, we think you'd be a great fit to be on this podcast. Here's what we'd love for you to talk about. Here's our audience. Here's some other guests just like you. Here's the size. Would you be interested? And we have seen that work really well to revive those conversations. And then that producer can have a really good conversation to say, hey, by the way, I know that we've been selling to you and I hope that wasn't annoying. And they say, oh, no, it wasn't annoying at all. I was just on vacation or whatever they were doing. And you can revive those accounts. Or to say, hey, no, we just straight up have no budget for the next six months. If I get any, you know, I'll let you know. But we're absolutely stone cold right now. The second KPI that's really important is engagement. So this is your views and listens on the apps that people are listening. YouTube views, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you know, any of those type of applications where people consume content. You want to track this over time. Now, you don't necessarily need to get really granular on the per episode to episode basis to say this episode did, you know, 17% better. Is that a meaningful statistic? 
I find that that's stuff that you can work yourself up a little bit too much trying to dig into the data there on episode to episode. Because at the end of the day, you know, some people are just more popular than you realize. And when they share something on LinkedIn, their episode does better. And like, those are the sort of things that you can kind of drive yourself crazy. But generally what you want is total engagement on your series in a given month by month basis. Is it something where you are building a consistent, repeatable audience? And you want to figure out who the heck is listening to that. So that's the second piece of this is what are the accounts who are engaging with this? It is super important to try to figure that out. And it's very, very hard to do. So luckily now there are tools that allow you to do that. And we use those here at Caspian to figure out who is listening to these shows, who are who is engaging with the content in those apps. The second piece of that engagement is on your website. So obviously website traffic, website engagement, are these people you know, coming to your landing page? Are you sending them to your landing page? That's something that you can track as well. Most people do not engage with podcasts or videos series on your website. They're mostly going to do that in app, but getting them back to your website is really important for you and important to track who that person is and, and getting them to engage in other pieces of content. So you really want to track that as well. The next piece here is social engagement. And this can either be owned or earned engagement. And if it's the owned in, owned engagement, this is what is this traffic, the social engagement from these posts on your channels, your company channels, or the channels of the executives on your team or the people that are promoting it. And then the other part of this is the social engagement on the earned channel. So this is other people promoting it. And what we've seen here is that you just want to be able to track both these things. Owned, pretty easy because you can measure those, the account your own company accounts and how well that is doing. We have one customer where their video podcast outperforms any other type of social that they do. And that's really great. And it's great for them that, that it drives so much engagement. But then when other guests share those posts, a lot of times we don't know how many people that reached. We can look at how many people engaged with it, how many liked it, how many people commented, but we don't know the exact number that those posts post reach unless we go back and ask the person and say, hey, by the way, did that do really well? So you could do that, but it might be a little bit annoying if you do that. So it's totally your call. We want to look at social engagement as it relates to the overall brand. Again, I wouldn't get like overly dogmatic with trying to figure out the exact social engagement. We just want to have a really strong halo effect for the show and for the company. The final KPI is experience. So I think about experience as audience MPS and guest MPS. Is the audience liking the content? Do they like what you're doing? Does the community like what you're doing? And then the second part of this is guest MPS. Do the guests actually like coming on the show? Do the PR teams like working with you? Did it come out good? Is it quality? Those two things, audience and guests, are, are so important to you because they are your listeners, they are your prospects, they are your customers. A final KPI here, which is more of an anecdotal one, is getting quotes from your guests. And just simply asking them, did you have a good time? What can we improve? Those things and getting those anecdotal information is really valuable to see if your show is performing well. In part eight of the Serialized Content Framework created by Caspian Studios, we're talking about how content shapes community and vice versa. Content and community are very connected. I view content as a one-way street. You are pushing to your audience, whereas community is a two-way street where 
the community is able to both push content and sort of pull that content from you. And, and it's really important to have this sort of relationship be, because your job with content is to push the community, to spark conversation, to make them laugh, to help them find a hard solution to a hard problem, to get them out of their comfort zone, to prepare them for next fiscal, to consolidate ideas. Like your job is to push the community and to create information that they want to consume. And community is a really tough thing to build, right? And and what I think of this like total addressable community, every single person that would be possible for your community is something that you'll never own that. You'll never be able to control the entire thing, but you will be able to control certain pieces of that community. And so I call those like minimum viable communities. You can kind of niche down and find those minimum viable communities based off of the personas, levels of seniority or industry. So for example, if you're looking at sales, marketing, and finance, you could be looking at VP, director, and manager, and then retail, financial, and tech. So you could zoom in to say the director of sales of a retail organization or the CFO of a financial organization. Like those are the sort of things that you can sort of find a much smaller persona and find a much smaller community that you can have a really big impact on. And with your communities, you have the ones that you own, your customers, your users, your customer advisory board, your audiences, like your podcast audience. Those are your communities. But you don't manage like trade orgs or private Slack groups or Discord channels or other events or things like that. And so you want to be able to control what you can control and then influence what you can't control. And so it's really important to try to focus on these minimum viable communities, be able to create content that pushes those communities forward and that is really targeted for them. What you don't want to do is create content that is super broad, that's not tactical, that's not interesting, that is sort of just like, you know, saying nothing, right? It's just the type of content that is just sitting there on the plate and nobody wants to eat it, right? It's the parsley. And so you want to create rich, interesting, dynamic content specifically tailored to those unique personas and creating those little minimum viable communities. Part nine of the serialized content framework created by Caspian Studios is just sharing some examples of serialized content portfolios and video podcasts. We wanted to highlight some of our favorites, some of the ones that we've created, some of the ones that other folks have created that are really good. In terms of shows, Murder and HR, created by us in partnership with Jim Pass, The Hacker Chronicles, created by us in partnership with Tenable, the show Remarkable that we create here in-house at Caspian Studios, are great examples of very diverse, interesting types of shows, either fiction or interview style, that stand out. A great example of some portfolios that have a bunch of different types of shows are Salesforce, the HubSpot Podcast Network, or the HubSpot YouTube Network, Qualified.com with Qualified Plus, Zora Plus, Wistia, Hockey Stacks, The Flow, and then First Up's portfolio with Culture, Comms, and Cocktails and Cruising Altitude. Those are some of our favorite portfolios because they add a depth and a breadth of types of shows, different per persona, different per show, with unique differentiation between the types of things that they're creating, the formats they're creating, how they're publishing, and all of that. So we just wanted to highlight a few of our favorite content portfolios and the leading marketers that are doing it each and every day.
For part 10 of the serialized content framework created by Caspian Studios, we wanted to just look at some advice and resources that we have. So in closing, I think that if you have an ACV of over $50,000, you absolutely should be creating serialized content. You should create a B2B video podcast. And I think that you would receive great ROI. If you're selling to multiple personas, you should be making a portfolio where you have a different show for each of those personas. And I think it's really important. And I know that it's self-serving because we have a company that does this, but the ROI that we've seen from our customers that are able to focus on those personas and create really good shows that compound over time is extremely consistent. The way that they can engage from a brand gem perspective, the way that they can look at both the top of funnel awareness and drive actual pipeline. When you have that type of an ACV, you can just walk the dog in an ROI calculator that we'll share here after this and that we'll link up. But if you look at the ROI of this type of series, you can get three, four, five X ROI easily. We've had customers getting nine, 10 X ROI from just single episodes of a series that they closed a massive deal. We've seen other accounts that have accelerated millions and millions of dollars in pipeline by targeting the right accounts. So there's lots of different ways that you can get an ROI by creating this. But I think most of all, it is foundational to helping your customers. It is foundational to helping your community by teaching them things that they want to learn from their peers. We all want to learn from our peers. And the business case is strong, but also what you should be doing is creating this type of stuff. It works better and it outperforms. We also created a business case template to be able to go to your leadership team and say, hey, this is how we can get ROI from creating serialized content. This is where it fits into our go-to-market. This is where it fits into our strategy and why we should be doing it. We also have a podcast planning worksheet that walks through how we create podcasts and the type of questions that you can be doing to prep. So when you do want to actually make a podcast, you have that stuff a little bit more half-baked rather than starting from scratch. And then finally, we offer a free consultation with a complimentary audit of your existing content so that we can figure out where serialized content would fit into your current portfolio, how you could create B2B podcasts, and we could help you all the way. Thank you so much for watching and listening. We really appreciate all the support. And hopefully this helps you get your favorite show, a show that you've always wanted to make, something that's in the back of your mind, out into the forefront. I encourage you to create great stuff and make things that are remarkable. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich. And our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.